0: A time of so much information, but so little understanding. A time of so many opinions, but so little truth. We need wisdom. God loves when we seek it. God gives when we seek it. Hey, I'm so glad you're joining us today as we go into the book of Proverbs. No matter where you're watching from or what place you are in life, all of us have times when we need answers and we need wisdom. And God has that for us. In fact, it's like he's got a feast for us. And wisdom is calling out to us to come get it. We read in Proverbs chapter 9, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also arranged her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out on the highest places of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here, she says to those who lack understanding. Come, eat some of my food and drink some of the wine I have mixed. Abandon your foolish ways so that you may live and proceed in the way of understanding. Those of you who know me know that I love to eat. I love a good meal. I love when it's presented well, when it tastes good. When I was in business, I would have this occasional opportunity, not at my own expense, of course, to eat in high-end buffets, and I mean, they were amazing, beautifully set, and you'd start out the buffet, grab your plate, and there'd be, you know, all kinds of breads and cheeses, olives, then you'd get to this arrangement of salads, you name it, bean salad, macaroni salad, Caesar salad, mixed salad, then you'd get to the vegetables, some of them would be raw, some are cooked, some are barbecued. And eventually you get to the meat, the uh, beautiful salmon or and or barbecued steak made the way that you want it. I mean, just amazing. Take me back. Now imagine you're there with me and you grab your plate and you just bypass all those dishes at the start and you book it straight to the salmon. You get your piece, you get your piece of barbecued steak and you go sit down and that's, that's it. You have at it. Some of you might think, well, what's wrong with that? But I'm thinking, even though I think meat is so central to a meal, that's pretty stupid, both from the perspective of nutrition and taste, because those complementary meals make what's most central all the so much better. And so it is, I think, sometimes with our pursuit of knowledge and wisdom and understanding with God, we limit that pursuit, we limit that knowledge to what is central, such as the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and in this series so far, humility, the fear of the Lord, and the sovereignty of God. Now hear me, those things are so important. They are central, they are the foundation, but we should not limit ourselves to that. They need to be a springboard a foundation for more. In some Christian circles, um, knowledge is and the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom is not only limited, it's looked down upon. It's looked as a barrier to a relationship with God, not a gateway. The idea is that we should do less thinking in our relationship with God and more feeling. But Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. It's both and, and as we learn and in our, our thinking, we understand more about God, it fuels the passions. Of our heart to relate to Him. So in Proverbs, it touches on all kinds of different areas of life, teaching us to apply it to our lives because all of it is God's. He made everything and everything is connected to Him. So in the weeks to come, we're gonna talk about sex because Proverbs addresses it and gives us God's perspective on it. We're gonna talk about work because God has some things to say about work. We're gonna talk about money, generosity, giving to the poor because God has a perspective on that. We're gonna talk about our speech because the language we use matters. We're gonna talk about friendships because friendships matters and Proverbs touches on that. And there's so many more topics we could address that we won't have time for this summer. Leadership, parenting, care of animals. There's so much more, but know this. Every opportunity of learning is an opportunity to encounter the living God because he's the maker of all things. Rightly connected, learning is a lifelong feast with the whole world as a table set before you by God. There's not one table of knowledge and understanding that's God's and another that is secular, that's not his, that has nothing to do with him. Nancy Piercy, in her book, Total Truth, says this idea of a sacred, secular divide needs to be absolutely crushed. She writes in her book, the first step in forming a Christian worldview is to overcome the sharp divide between heart and brain. We have to reject the division of life into a sacred realm, limited to things like worship and personal morality, over against a secular realm that includes science, politics, economics, and the rest of the public arena. This dichotomy in our own minds is the greatest barrier to liberating the power of the gospel across the whole of culture today. And Percy goes on to tell us how this has occurred. So as people have faith in God and and they have a religion, as it's um, looked at, and it influences their life, Think of a a house where parents have invited other adult friends over and they're having a conversation and the kids are getting in their way a little bit, so they tell the kids to go upstairs. Go to a room where you won't bother us. And so that has happened to the Christian conversation. Um, It's okay to have beliefs, but you need to keep them in that upper room. You need to keep them private, in the main room where decisions are, are made, things that matter. That's gonna be based on scientific fact. In the upper room, you can push your values there. Like, it's okay, your individual choice around what's important and not important to you. But in the the realm of of the public sphere, it's gonna be based on truth, on facts, and that will be binding on everyone. There's an upper story where it's okay, you can have your truth as long as you keep it there, but in the lower story, that truth will be verified by science and facts because we know that that is the truth. Now this false dichotomy needs to be obliterated and it's more prevalent in our own thinking as Christians than we may be aware. And what it does is it robs us of the joy of discovery in all the fields of knowledge, science, literature, art, philosophy. And it robs us from speaking into the world because we we think or are told that we should have no voice because our perspective is coming from a religious view. And they're right. It is faith-based. But we all come from a faith-based perspective. Atheism is faith-based. It takes faith to believe, looking at the design of our world and the intricacy even of the human body and how everything fits. It takes faith to believe that there is no God. There's no designer who's created these things. Agnosticism, the idea that God cannot be known. It, It takes faith to believe that all of us are bringing a perspective of faith to the conversation. If Christianity is true, if God exists, And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If that is true, how tragic if we would silence his understanding and wisdom in our own lives, in any area, and most certainly in the public sphere. Is it any wonder so often it's difficult to say in places in our world, we are flourishing here. And yet that is what we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ, even as our vision, says, vision statement says, we exist for the glory of God and for the flourishing of our city and the world. In order for it to flourish, we have to contribute the wisdom and understanding of God in that marketplace. Nancy Piercy goes on to say this, we must begin by being utterly convinced that there is a biblical perspective on everything Not just on spiritual matters. The Old Testament tells us repeatedly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Similarly, the New Testament teaches that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We often interpret these verses to mean spiritual wisdom only, but the text places no limitation on the term. Most people have a tendency to read these passages as though they fear the Lord is the foundation of religious knowledge, writes Klauser. But the fact is that they make a very radical claim, the claim that somehow all knowledge depends upon religious truth. Most of us would be familiar with the man C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia, amongst so many other books. When Lewis taught at Oxford in the beginning, he was not a believer in Christ, but converted to Christianity out of conversations um, that he had with Tolkien, Lord of the Rings author. When Lewis converted to Christianity, he didn't stop his studies in literature and philosophy. He didn't stop teaching and communicating in those realms. It was simply that he now had a new foundation for all of his thought and writing in those areas. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Is that how you see the world? All of this. Everything you see, everything you could learn, everything you could talk about is connected to him. Every opportunity of learning is an opportunity to encounter the living God because he's the creator of all that exists. In the New Testament, Christians are called disciples and the word disciple by definition means to be a learner. And as God has prepared a banquet for us, I wanna encourage us to learn and put it into practice. I'm gonna give us five practical ways in which we should do that well. The first one, read the textbooks. You know, when I was uh, graduated from high school, some people have a gap year. I had several. And so I went to start a university later in life. And when I got there, you know, wasn't really familiar with how university works that much. And I needed to get some textbooks and so, One of the first few days, I stood in line, um, and it was a long line, so much so that I gave up on it. And I thought to myself, well, I'll just be smart, and I'll wait a couple of days, and then I'll go back when there's no lineups. Bad decision, because when I went back, the textbook that I needed for math, out of stock. I was so lost. God has given us two textbooks to read. The Bible is one, but the other is creation the things that he has made. We read in Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. God communicates through the things that he has made. I remember when I was learning about music and just studying a little bit, learning about the amazing simplicity and new and the the numerics behind it. For example, there's like seven major keys a b c d e f g And then you have these five which are sharps or flats between them There's there's 12 altogether, and that's it and then it's just multiplied after that So if you start with a the low C on the keyboard You have to go two times the frequency to get to the next C and then four times to get to the next C and then eight Times to get to the next C, but it's it's all there in simplicity 12 and yet so simple, and yet what a foundation for the amazing amount of music through the ages that are so different and varied, and as I'm thinking and studying this and looking at it, I'm going, this was designed and with so much wisdom, and it, it causes me to worship God. Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Now, you know that proverbs is attributed most of it to solomon solomon was a, a young man who was feeling overwhelmed by the mantle of leadership that was being put upon him as he takes over rulership after his father david and, and god comes to him asks him what do you want solomon and solomon says well everything i would want it would be wisdom and god is so pleased with that and he gives him so much more beyond that but listen to what first Kings says about solomon God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment. The breadth of his understanding was as infinite as the sand on the seashore. He composed 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. He produced manuals on botany, describing every kind of plant, from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows on walls. He also produced manuals on biology, describing animals, birds, insects, and fish. People from all nations came to hear Solomon's display of wisdom. They came from all the kings of the earth who heard about his wisdom. So here we have the man who is known to be the most wise person in all of the world, and he is a student of creation, because creation teaches. And so we read in Proverbs, we read about the ant in chapter 6. "'Go to the ant, you sluggard. Observe its ways. Be wise. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler, yet it prepares its food in the summer. It gathers at the harvest what it will eat.'" We read in Proverbs 30: Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise.'" The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet is in king's palaces. Jesus himself used nature to teach a lesson when he was talking about the new birth and the role of the Holy Spirit. He talked about the wind. You can see it, but you can't tell where it's coming from. So it is, he said, with those who are born of the Spirit. Creation inspires us. It's a textbook to teach us. Now, Psalm 19 goes on and it says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. David, who was the author of this psalm, didn't even have the full Old Testament when he wrote this, but, you know, he could, he could just, oh, he was so enthused about what he had, the revealed word of God up to that point. How's your soul today? How are you doing today? David says God's word, his law, like it rejoices the heart. It revives my soul. It's so good for us. It's so good for you. God's word. We see Jesus not having the New Testament, but fully immersed in the old when he after he's baptized in water and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's sent into the desert and there after 40 days of fasting, he's tempted by the devil. And we see Jesus in response to the temptations that Satan brings to him, quoting scripture. And his first rebuttal is that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, more important than the food that we eat is the words that God has revealed to us. And so every time Satan comes to tempt him, Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. It's full of life. And it's that which is to guide us in every step of our way. The apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, just having the Old Testament at this point, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So how are you interacting with God's textbooks today? how you're interacting with the Bible. Do you have a reading plan? If you, if you don't, I just so encourage you to jump onto our website, centralheights.ca and you can click on the icon there and just every day we're reading a Psalm and a proverb, maybe just to whet your appetite for a daily reading of God's word. You see, this is something that we need to be doing every day. Now imagine if, if in your natural eating of meals that you only ate as often as you read God's word, what would happen? If your Bible reading plan matched the way that you eat and you did it every day, wouldn't that be great? Jesus says you can live by that. You can really live by that. We need to read the textbooks that God has given to us. Well, let's move on. The second thing, go deep. David Goldsmith, who's written a book to leadership called Paid to Think, talks about the way that we learn today. You see, there's so much constant information, so much instant messaging that much of we acquire is actually awareness and not knowledge. We become conscious of something so that it can affect us a little bit, but it's not like knowledge that gets deeply rooted into us and can have profound effect and, and positive fruitfulness as a result of that. Goldsmith says this, Becoming aware typically requires little to no effort on your part. But to become knowledgeable, you have to invest time and energy. Proverbs echoes that. Remember, we we looked at in our very first message in Proverbs chapter 2. If you seek it, speaking of wisdom, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We only have so much time in our day and we need to be strategic about what we're exposing our minds to and and what we are learning. Go deep, go deep in learning about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, go deep learn. One of the things I've, I've done is sometimes to take a word out of the Bible and you can get a concordance online and see every place in the Bible where that word is listed. And then as you look it up, you begin to get a better understanding of what what that word means. Look up a word like gospel or salvation or righteousness and watch how God will fill your life and mind with understanding and, and your your heart will rejoice. But it doesn't have to stop there just looking at what we would Think is spiritual. Think about your work and the place that God has called you to. You know, we glorify God by the way that we work. What if you were to take something in your workplace, whether it's for your employer or for your employees, that if you would take this area of learning and go deeper with it, how would it bless those around you? We can be strategic, be intentional, not just to get awareness, but actually to get knowledge that blesses and causes flourishing. Read the textbooks. Go deep. Thirdly, I want to say this, be teachable. Now, maybe your experience with correction or reproof has not been good, and there's been no redemptive quality to it at all, but not so with God. We read already in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that, you know, among other things, God's word is profitable, profitable to reprove us and to correct us. And this is for our good so that we can become the mature followers of God that he wants us to be. Now, this takes humility on our part. It's, it's the ability to say, hey, maybe I don't have everything. Maybe my perspective is not perfect. And so we humble ourselves. We become teachable. You know, as I was reading through Proverbs and did that several times uh, in preparation for this series, we wanted to make a note of, like, what are the subjects that are mentioned repeatedly? Because obviously there's an emphasis that we need to take note of. And one of those that surprised me was this idea of being teachable. Here's some of these verses out of Proverbs. Proverbs 10, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, God's word, is stupid. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction, despises himself but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence and then one for social media a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion ouch but you get what god is after here through his wisdom we don't have it all right our perspectives are not all in the right place they're not all in alignment with god's truth and so we need to be teachable we need to be willing to humble ourselves and be corrected it's for our good I grew up playing tennis and I loved the game and I was self-taught, had no instruction from anyone else and yet I became fairly good at it. I could beat a lot of my friends, I had a good serve and basically I was quick so I could get to balls. As my girls grew up, I wanted them to learn tennis as well so I taught them what I knew. One year when I was uh, serving on a community board in the city, uh, one of the board members that uh, I was with there said to me, she, her husband wanted to teach my girls tennis. She knew about my daughters and that we played tennis and her husband was a tennis instructor and he wanted to do this for free. So I'm going, well, yes, let's do it. And I'll never forget the first lesson because, you know, I'm outside of the court watching as his name was Roy. He's instructing them. He's showing them how to hold the racket, the proper way to, to address the ball and how your swing should look on both a forehand and a backhand. And As he's doing this, there are these occasions where almost in unison, without words, my girls look at me with their eyes and I can read the caption above their heads, Dad, that's not what you taught us. I'm sure my estimation in my girls' eyes went down a few notches that day because what I had taught them was so wrong. But here's the good thing about it. As we humbled ourselves as a family, and me in particular, and we allowed the correction and reproof to come to us, it had a lasting impact that still impacts us today, at least in our tennis game. So you get the picture. Correction and reproof come, not to hurt us, but to bring us to a place where we can we can be in the right space with God and with others because otherwise we can be doing damage to ourselves. And not only that, but we can be multiplying our false beliefs and false perspectives into others. Now being corrected in tennis is somewhat trivial, but sometimes we hold on to things. We have perspectives that are deeply rooted in who we are. We may be holding a wound that we decided never to forgive and it's become now part of our identity. Or maybe we have a pattern of response that's not right, it's sinful and it's become so second nature, it's just like who we are. And when these things are addressed, it hurts. But God loves us and he loves us enough to approach us and to correct us and to come in a way that it's more like one at a time in a way that we can receive it. We read in Proverbs, it talks about how God uses circumstances to work in our lives so that things that are in our lives that shouldn't be there can be cut, can be stripped away from us. So in Proverbs chapter three, the writer says this, "'My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline "'or be weary of his reproof. "'For the Lord reproves him whom he loves "'as a father the son in whom he delights.'" These exact words are repeated in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer is trying to encourage the believers there that are going through difficulty not to abandon faith, but to keep their trust strong in God and to see that these trials are actually disciplines in the hands of God for their good, that they may be partakers of God's holiness. So I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but this is what it means to be teachable and to be humble, is that in times of difficulty and trial, instead of running, we stay in that place, we stay trusting, we stay believing, and we allow God to work through those circumstances, those things that he wants to, so that we become more mature followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be teachable. Fourthly, memorize. A while ago, I read an article. It was on a controversial part of scripture, and the author of this article presented some really clear ideas and they were quite compelling. Now, the sad thing about this, or the good thing and sad thing about this was, I had written it, but I didn't remember any of the main points of it. It was so sad to me. How could I have known that so clearly? And now it's so fuzzy in my head. We only have so much hard space in our brain. And the room that we have there It's so sad when we're participating in a conversation. We know we have something we want to contribute, an idea, but it's so fuzzy that we can't really present it so that it cannot help others in the conversation. If we're going to retain anything in our memory, if we're going to memorize anything, we should memorize the Word of God. Now Proverbs itself, if you read between the lines, is screaming this at us. Proverbs is written in a way that makes it conducive to memorizing. There are those who who study the book of Proverbs who propose that the book of Proverbs was originally brought together as a collection to be used as training for the young men in Israel who are destined to be future leaders in their society. So Proverbs is written with different kind of literary functions, and you see this more in the original language, that makes it easier to retain the truths that the book is putting out there. For us, When we commit things to memory, the recall of it, it it goes deeper into our heart and we're able to reflect more like a cow chewing on its cud so that the truth of what's written there can go deeper. And in those moments where we have opportunity to really speak into a situation or to speak into a person's life, the Holy Spirit can bring it to our mind. We can speak it and it has power. Let's read the textbooks. Let's go deep. Let's be humble, teachable. Let's memorize and Lastly, I want to say, let's approach learning and the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge in God with expectation. Now, you may be watching today, maybe even where you are right now, it's hot, it's warm, and so, I mean, you don't feel like doing anything right now. The idea of pursuing, going after God, going after knowledge and wisdom, like you'd rather just chill out right now with an iced tea or home from work and you're tired and it's just, it'd be easier to put your feet on the table and do something passive, like WATCH or surf, and if you have no expectation, guess what? You're probably gonna get what you expect, but Proverbs is encouraging us to be expectant, and we can be. You see, God has given us his Holy Spirit you, in the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, in your relationship with God, you've been given a tutor and you've been given a coach. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. As you say, yes, God, I'm gonna go after it. I'm gonna respond to your invitation. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. He will lead and guide you into all truth. It even says he will bring things to your memory. He's gonna work with you and he's, he's the perfect coach. He knows you inside and out, so he will arrange the perfect training program for you, the situations and how to respond to those situations so that you can be trained in righteousness as you respond to him and God's word. It's a beautiful thing and you can be expectant around that. And Proverbs wants to reinforce that over and over again. Listen to some of the promises that this book gives us in the pursuit of God and his wisdom and knowledge. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Proverbs 8, again, hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Often when we're faced with any decision to get on and to do something, to pursue something, we ask the question internally, will it be worth it? Overwhelmingly, the book of Proverbs, God's word is saying, yes, it is will. There's life. There's favor. There's blessing. God set you up to succeed. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's put out a banquet table. There's a spread set for you. In the process of learning, it's meant to be a lifelong feast with a table. The whole world set before you as a table given to you by God. Every opportunity of learning, an opportunity to encounter the living God because he's the creator of all things. Let's go for it. And join with me in prayer as I ask God to help us in that process. God, we come to you today, and Lord, I know personally I've been overwhelmed thinking about what you have in store for us, how willing you are, Lord, to impart to us wisdom and knowledge and understanding that leads us to life, life in you, better relationships with other people, a better understanding of the world and how everything works, Lord. I thank you that all the dots are connected and find their way ultimately into you, our God, our Lord, and our Savior. Today, we want to ask for your help. As we want to pursue you, Lord, we ask that you would both help us both to will and to do of those things that are of your good pleasure. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.